is May 26. I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded our sixth episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly programming addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Today's webinar was moderated by myself and Anthony Hansen. Anthony Hansen is a crops and IPM extension educator. Anthony also functioned as one of the guests today covering alfalfa insect management. Also on the line was Nathan Druitz, an extension educator in Stearns, Benton, and Morrison County. Nathan also heads up the alfalfa harvest alert program in Minnesota. And uh, the guests and moderators facilitated a discussion on alfalfa management considerations. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current crop situations as well as crop and pest management topics. Welcome to the Strategic Farm and Field Notes program. Um, and again, uh, we're at that time of year where uh, much of the state's getting ready to harvest alfalfa, or uh, in some cases, we're hearing reports of alfalfa already being cut. And so we want to uh, kind of take some time and, uh, and update folks. And so today uh, we've got two uh, guests on, Nathan Druitz, uh, who's an educator up in Stearns, Benton, and Morrison County. He's also been leading the uh, Alfalfa Harvest Alert Program, uh, where they've been doing some quality uh, sampling uh, this uh, spring. And so he's been leading that effort and coordinating the collection of samples and publishing some of that data. And so we're going to have him do a general kind of uh, update on, on a alfalfa condition and such uh, in the state. We also have on uh, Dr. Anthony Hansen, who you're familiar with. He has uh, previously moderated sessions as well as helped answer questions. He is a crops educator and IPM educator. So he's an entomologist by training and will be uh, leading some of the discussion around uh, insect management and alfalfa. So uh, with that, I'm gonna um, kick it over to Nathan Druitz uh, and he can give us a little bit of a brief update. And again, if you guys have questions, please feel free to bring them into the Q&A and help uh, facilitate the discussion. All right, everybody, we're going to start off here. And as always, there's some good news and some bad news. So we're going to start with the good news first. And, and the good news is that in general, most of the alfalfa crop condition out there looks pretty good at this point. You know, really with all the results I've had in, we've got our sam- sampling date of the 24th here for the alfalfa harvest alert program. And for the most part, most stands are between 22 and about 28 inches tall, which is pretty good for this time of year. You know, there were some concerns early on. We thought we were going to get, uh, we thought we were going to start pretty early because we had a lot of heat pretty early on. Stands got up to about 10, 12 inches. And then we had that really cool period where temperatures dropped off. Stands slowed down. Thought, well, now we're going to be late. You know, we're going to be looking at that first couple of weeks of June for harvest. Well, things warmed up again, and and now we're actually looking to harvest this week. We've got uh, stands on the ground from my cooperators as far south as Carver County now, as well as McLeod, uh, Sibley, and Nicolette County. And then we also have uh, alfalfa stands on the ground up near Morsa County. So there's there's a lot of people who already are out there cutting, and I'm fairly certain that uh, growers in Stearns and Benton counties as well will be joining them here shortly. So lots of good news on that front. We really haven't dealt with a lot of insect pressures too much. I know uh, Jared Jared Goplin has reported some alfalfa weevil pressures over in western Minnesota that you need to keep an eye on. 
here in, in central Minnesota and, and southern Minnesota, we really haven't dealt with that to a large degree yet. Uh, there are some alfalfa weevils out there. There are some soybean aphids out there. But for the most part, things are looking uh, pretty good uh, on that front. So, uh, let's, you know, again, that's the that's the good news. Now, getting into the bad news, you know, the the problem with some of the cold weather that we had was that we had some winter injury to some of these older stands. And so one of the things that you know we always recommend is doing your alfalfa stand assessments, either late in the fall or early in the spring. Typically, if you do it in the fall, you have an opportunity to catch things that you, you know, problems with stands and issues with stands. So you can make adjustments in the spring. If you do it in the spring, you are also more likely to catch some of the winter injury that you picked up. And in this case here, in some of those older stands where when you split those crowns, you notice that there's a lot of brown inside, a lot of that stringiness that indicates that that crown is starting to rot and it's starting to to not produce quite as much in those stands where we had some of those colder temperatures that came in the freezing that one week where we were below freezing about every night. That is, those are the stands we're concerned about right now. And I know from uh, reports that I'm getting in from agronomists in this area, as well as my own uh, experiences with some fields here in, in Benson County, that we have some issues with some winter, winter injury there where we had stands that were looking all right coming into this spring and then we hit that cold period, and now we've got uh, variable stands that are in some areas dot, you know, dead where the alfalfa once was, and some others that are just simply short, and, and we're going to have some issues there. So be prepared to deal with that if you have that issue. And then, of course, the other one is moisture stress. And the rain that we got last week has helped in a lot of areas, but if you're especially in that western Stearns County region, really haven't seen a whole lot of rain yet. And that's, and that's where we're struggling there are stands there that are still six, eight inches tall. That's a concern because if you don't get really hit that 10, 12, 15 inch mark before you harvest, you can run the risk of killing or damaging that stand if you if you cut that. So uh, just be aware that both of these are the both of these are problems. We do have a chance for rain today. I hope we get it. Um because we could we could really use it. So just be aware that we're really seeing those two issues out there. That's probably the biggest issue in terms of of hay or issues in terms of alfalfa stands that we're seeing. So that's kind of the good and the bad news right now of where we're at. Right. So so Nathan, what kind of recommendations are people giving? Uh, you mentioned some stands being you know depleted, and we might need to do some renovation as far as uh, you know maintaining them through this season if we want to do that. Or maybe the, the option, you know, well, clearly at this point, we're going to try to maintain them through the season. So what kind of, what kind of uh, issues are people running into and what, uh, what are you kind of seeing for recommendations with some of the, the issues you described with the winter kill and the deterioration of some of these stands? With winter injury at this point, you know, if you're in Stearns County here or uh, Benton County, it's, it's not too late really because of a lot of our corn is going to go into silage anyways. So it's not too late if you want to go ahead and terminate that stand. And in some cases, that is the recommendation. You're going to get one last cut off of that because there is some good alfalfa out there. You know, really, when you think of that, you need to be thinking in a couple of different ways. One is it is the is it going to be economical for you really to get out there and cut that alfalfa? And then the second part of that is, is enough of this going to return that it's going to make sense for you to hang out to that stand and try to come in with something. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's really not all that economical to get out there and get that cut, you know, maybe it's time to terminate and move on. If it is, you know, then you have that question of what are you going to intercede? 
it really depends on what your, you know, what, what your goals are in terms of quality and that sort of thing, what you're going to recommend. Uh, there's a lot of small grains that will, you know, that can be interceded into this and that tends to produce quite a bit of, of good forage uh, that might be able to get you through the season. There are some uh, grasses that you could seed in there. You know, some guys will go with some orchard grass or some fescue or uh, meadow brome, things along those lines that you can intercede into these lighter stands that you might be able to boost the production for a year or two here and, and still be able to take that and, and extend out the life of that stand. Uh, it really depends on, on who you are and what your goals are on that front. But for the most part, I think a lot of these stands, you know, that we're seeing, they're four or five year old stands. They're most likely on their way out anyways. And so, that you know with the winter injury on those we're probably just going to see a, a final cut where where things are tall enough to cut and make it make sense in terms of the economics and then you're going to get they're going to get their you know shot of herbicide and, and plant it into corn nathan is there anything standing out this year in terms of people producing for dairy versus beef anything either of those folks should be looking out for specifically not really i mean we're you know quality and you know, most of the, most of the difference there is in terms of quality and, and, uh, what your actual goals are, you know, for beef, it's a lot of it's a yield for over quality with your dairy system, it's quality over yield. And so part of the reason why we, we do the harvest alfalfa harvest alert system. And, and we run that program every year is because what we're really trying to do is help growers understand where that quality is at in relation to its height, because we're, you know, if you're trying to aim for a certain quality that you're going to throw into rations and that sort of thing then you need to know where that's at and so the only the only major thing here is it does seem that there's quite a bit of variability even within county this year you know counties this year that we're seeing some uh, you know it could be the same height and it could be completely different qualities and and this is part of the reason why we always recommend you know taking those those cuts your or the scissor cut samples yourself and submitting those is because you know nothing's going to beat what comes directly out of your field you know we're just a we're just a guide but you know at the end of the day they need to make sure that they're taking those for themselves excellent uh, nathan i don't know if you want to address this question but there's a question that came in from an anonymous attendee here uh asking the difference between uh metal brome and smooth brome uh, Meadow Bromans. It's just a, uh, <clears throat> it's just a, t- a couple of di- yeah, different. <clears throat> excuse me here. It's just a couple of different species of of brome grass. Uh, Meadow brome ten, you know, depending on who you talk to, you know, you start getting further north. Uh, Troy Salzer recommends this over the smooth brome in general, and that's uh, typically because he starts seeing it in pasture ground. Smooth brome would be an, another excellent opera or another excellent. Uh, grass species to grow in those stands as well so well good thanks for answering that one uh, that was our first question and again just recommend uh, folks out there if you've got questions uh, find that Q&A box and uh, and ask them and again we're focused on alfalfa today but certainly if other questions pop up uh, feel free to uh, pop those in there too so Anthony I guess back to you um, you know so we're, we're getting to that cutting stage um, you know, and we tend to start to see some insect pests uh, pop up in, in alfalfa. And, you know, what are you finding or hearing uh, about uh, various uh, pests of alfalfa right now? Yeah, I think uh, your comment about first cutting and starting to see insects, that's pretty common in the sense that a lot of times we find out when we look at the disbine after we've cut, you find all of these different insects on there. You start worrying about you know, did I miss something in the field? Do I need to take care of something? So it's 
it's the time to be looking, but then also be aware of what's a problem or not. So we mentioned a little bit earlier how alfalfa weevil has been showing up. That's kind of our main focus right now, at least. And you know, a little background on alfalfa weevil. These are basically beetles that overwinter as adults. They'll show up in the spring. They're pretty much dormant and they'll start laying eggs. That happened about last week or so to the point now the southern half of the state, the eggs um, would have hatched and we'll have some larvae out in the alfalfa. So what we're looking for right now is those alfalfa weevil larvae specifically. And if you are at the point where you actually reach an action threshold for that, you might be at the point where you would spray insecticide, except we're so close to cutting right now that you can actually use the cutting basically as your insecticide treatment in a way. So right now we're basically saying keep an eye out for alfalfa weevil larvae. But if you are at about 50% bud stage or just within a few days of cutting, then cut first and then go to the field later and see what's happening. What can happen is those larvae can get concentrated under the windrows and you might get some feeding damage there. So what we do is afterwards look under your windrows, especially after you bailed, if you can get that off the ground pretty quickly, that will kill off the larvae too, just exposure to the sunlight and the elements. So that's kind of how we work that a little bit. The other aspect of alfalfa weevil is that it will develop uh, over time. They'll go through that larval stage or go to pupae and then adults again. Those pupae and adults aren't really causing any damage. They're either not feeding or else they're dormant. And about next week, I'd say in Iowa, right about the border with Minnesota, they should be entering that pupil stage. So I'd give maybe another week after that alfalfa weevil really shouldn't be causing issues anymore. So we're kind of getting to that point where you shouldn't have to take action about it. And, you know, the, that insecticide application is an additional cost. We're concerned about resistance issues and potentially losing that with pyrethroids like we've had over in the soybean world with soybean aphid. So we're keeping an eye on that and trying to hold back a little bit when it comes to um, alfalfa weevil pesticide use. So let's keep an eye on that. So far, we have some guidance on the U of M website on how to scout for alfalfa weevil. You can just uh, take a five gallon bucket, cut about 30 plants across your field and just literally shake them in the bucket and count how many larvae you get per stem. And that's based on both insecticide costs and plant height in terms of how we decide when to spray. So that's something to keep in mind for next year, but hopefully this year people shouldn't need to be spraying too much. So Anthony, you mentioned some predictions or forecasting with uh, the development of alfalfa weevil and uh, you mentioned Iowa. Is, is there a place where people can go and find that information or are we just kind of at the point where we have to, you know, see that through newsletters and things like that uh, as far as being updated? Yeah, right. At least for this summer, we have degree day models for a few different insect pests out there. Al um, alfalfa weevil is our only alfalfa one. But if you go to VegEdge, V-E-G-E-D-G-E dot U-M-N, or uh, let me just pull a link up here. For those who are actually on the webinar today, we will have a link in the chat. If you are listening on the podcast, we'll have that on the episode description for people. Well, well thanks for Anthony. So, mm -hmm. and he just popped it in there. So if you guys can't see that, uh, or folks can't see that, uh, it is in the chat now. So Anthony, how long are uh, alfalfa weevils, um, are the larvae, how long are they active for? So they go through a few uh, instars, we call them, or basically stages. And it's to the point where, you know, like I mentioned, that Iowa border 
is where next week they won't be active anymore. They'll go to that pupil stage. So it's really only a couple of weeks, usually in May, about a little bit into June. So it's not really a wide window, I would say, for alfalfa weevil. So that's one that we use to our advantage is that, you know, it's it's a pest that can reach economic status sometimes, but because it only shows up once a year, that's something we can basically say that, okay, we've scouted for it. It's not an issue right now. And we've reached the point where it's not active anymore that then we can move on to other potential pests instead of worrying about it throughout the growing season. So generally after our first cutting, we don't have to spray anymore for alfalfa weevil or worry about treatment for it. But that's why I mentioned the windrow was a little bit checking in there and seeing what's happening. Um, when we move later into the season, Jared Goplin is asking about this is potato leafhopper. And that can be our other main insect pest for alfalfa. And in that case, that's something that blows up from Southern States, actually the Gulf of Mexico, and they can't overwinter here. So it takes a little while for their populations to build up. And we'll keep an eye on those. I've only found a few potato leafhoppers so far this year. So it's tough to say what might be happening later on in the summer, but that's something we'll keep an eye on and uh, give alerts about if we see any ourselves, but that's another thing you could scout for with just a simple sweep net and count uh, the number of potato leafhoppers you find per sweep. So some fields, especially uh, if you have an older stand that hasn't been cut, you'll start to see that yellowing kind of stunting the plants a little bit or that hopper burn, we call it. It's kind of a triangle shaped yellow on the leaves there. So Anthony, that's a good point that you're bringing up here. That's one where my own personal experience with, with seeing that some of the folks in a more uh, intensive, the dairy cutting schedule every 30 days, you know, some there are too many people, in my opinion, I guess, are in this kind of automatic spray kind of program. And it's it's one that we could really benefit from doing some scouting for and, and, and getting out there. And it seems like to me, like maybe the weather conditions haven't been correct for, you know, as far as wind direction and things to get real big insurgents of, uh, of, uh, leaf hoppers yet. Uh, is there any work uh, with that as far as, uh, you know, some of the forecasting and predicting uh, work you've been doing as far as uh, predicting when we might see a, a bigger uh, insurgence of, of, of that particular pest and, and where to tune in to kind of do some more uh, um, intensive scouting and sweeping? Yeah, that unfortunately the migratory insects are a little trickier, especially a potato leaf hopper where you don't get um, basically a, a front coming in and some of these other insects, like some of these moths we work with and other systems, you get into black cutworm over in the corn world and you get a storm front of some sort from the South that's blowing them up. And you can actually see noticeable kind of fronts of insects basically when it comes to traps and things. Potato leaf hopper, not so easy. We basically just kind of keep an eye on if there's enough fronts blowing something up, we kind of expect something to happen uh, at some point in the year where they'll be established, but then the population build in the field is where we keep an eye out with scouting instead. So it's not too much for forecasting there, but that's where we rely on the scouting instead. Some years we don't have issues with potato leaf hopper at all. Other years they will actually build up enough. So you mentioned the scheduled spraying. A lot of times that can be wasted money pretty much putting those applications out. But in the whole alfalfa system, we're worried about, again, insecticide resistance potato leaf hopper on one end, but when we spray the potato leaf hopper, those alfalfa weevil adults are also in the field right now, just being dormant during the summer. So they're getting exposed. Their resistance might be also increasing too. So it's kind of a cycle going on where we do want to be careful about our applications, 
because we could lose that tool pretty quickly to one or potentially both species. So it's something we want to keep in our toolbox definitely and be able to use in the future there. So another thing, and I don't know if Bruce is, is on, I think I saw him on earlier, but uh, I know there's been some experience with uh, the pyrethroid insecticides, using those and then seeing some flares with, uh, I believe, P aphids in, in Southern Minnesota. There's been a couple of circumstances that, I don't know if, if you can address that or if Bruce is on it, maybe he wants to chime in here. Well, what we have in, in and it's in West Central Minnesota mainly, and then over, uh, we've seen some issues possibly in southern Minnesota, uh, but uh, West Central Minnesota into uh, South Dakota is where the most problems have happened. Uh, we've had some poor control with P aphids. Two things might be going on. One is when you spray uh, on, a, on a schedule spraying alfalfa weevil, for example, in the spring, uh, you're taking out all the predators and uh, P aphids are able to take advantage of it because of their rapid reproductive rate. The other thing is you're exposing P aphids to that same insecticide. And there's a little bit of evidence that there might be some populations of P aphids that are resistant. I know last summer we sampled in South Central Minnesota and we've got some data, but unfortunately those P aphid populations collapsed before we could get uh, a susceptible baseline, but it's definitely something to watch. Anytime you spray alfalfa is watch for uh, P aphid buildups. Um, and it's also a reason to, you know, be a little prudent with your insecticide applications. Thanks, Bruce. Maybe I throw it back to Nathan with some of the folks in your, the network that are providing samples. I'm, I'm sure you're in communication with them as far as things they're seeing in the field uh, with some of these insect uh, problems. Do you, do you have anything kind of to add from a kind of a, a regional picture or statewide picture? You know, I mean, I guess to this conversation, I really, you know, it don't be, um, you know, don't don't necessarily be as concerned about your neighbor as you know as we usually are. That's usually what ends up getting us into trouble is someone starts spraying for leaf hoppers, just because someone your neighbor, you know, right down the street is spraying for leaf hoppers doesn't mean you have them. You know, scouting is always important from that standpoint. As for uh, you know insect and disease issues that are showing up here in central Minnesota, southeast Minnesota, again, you know we're really not getting a whole lot beyond the alfalfa weevils from Jared's side of things, and disease issues we're really not seeing a whole lot yet either. And I think a lot of that has to do with we just haven't had any rain for any of this to actually develop yet. So it's it you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword there with the rainfall, you know, not getting the rainfall, and you know it's same with insects, you know it's. We really just haven't seen a whole lot. And I think a lot of that's because our temperatures have gone up and down and, and, you know, kind of like a roller coaster here. And so we're, we're seeing some of those, some of the results of that. All right. Thanks, Nathan. Uh, Anthony, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of the threshold information for people that are out there doing scouting, uh, what some of the recommendations are. Yeah. So I mentioned a little bit earlier about potato leaf hopper. That's maybe one of the, simpler ones out there. This will be later in the season, but I mentioned how you can just use a sweep net going through a field that's you know, kind of quicker to sample for at least. And basically what we do is look at the alfalfa height and kind of use that to split up categories a little bit. So let's say your cost of treatment per acre is um, $10 an acre and your alfalfa height's about four inches. And these shorter plants, you might be able to get a little more damage from potato leafhopper potentially. In that case, if you have about 0.2 leafhoppers per sweep on average, that would be your threshold there. 
But if you get to the point where your alfalfa is over 10 inches high, at that same cost per treatment, that goes up to just one potato leaf hopper per sweep on average instead. So that's multiplied by about a factor of five, just depending on your alfalfa height, because that plant can tolerate quite a few more potato leaf hoppers on there. I should mention there are some resistant varieties to potato leaf hopper too that are out there. They can tolerate an even higher number of uh, potato leaf hopper as well. And we got a comment from uh, Bruce Potter also that there are two strains of alfalfa weevil. And it does complicate the predictions a little bit in central Minnesota. But in that case, it's something again where you're going out to your field and scouting. We use these forecasts to um, basically decide, okay, do we need to be concerned at this time of year about something? But that's just the forewarning to say that it's time to go out and scout. We're not saying you don't have to worry about it at all if the timing isn't quite right. It's good to be out there a little bit earlier and sometimes a little bit later, just keep an eye on the field and see what's happening. As mentioned earlier, if you're just watching what your neighbor is doing, that's a good way to put a hole in your pocketbook. Sometimes it's, you can miss things in your field and their field might have entirely different issues too. So it's good to keep an eye on what's going on around you, but don't focus on that too much because it can be pretty easy to miss things. You know, and that's, it's important too, to be out there scouting from the standpoint of if you neglect finding the pest problem uh, with a perennial crop like this, uh, some of the repercussions can be felt over years then as far as diminished uh, production and such. And so it's really, really critical when you look at a crop like this that you're going to have for three years, maybe five years, you know, depending on, on uh, how aggressive you're cutting it and winter conditions and such. Um, you know, you can, you can potentially uh, experience, you know, if you miss something, you can experience uh, the repercussions for a number of years. And so I, I know that can be important. I don't know if either of you guys want to talk about that at all or just well, leave it there. I, I, you know, one of the, the primary questions that I get, I think it's about every every winter, is guys looking for results from alfalfa yield trials and disease and insect trials. If you're not out there doing the work to get the scouting done and taking those records, it can come back to get you because, you know, I know we've had different growers in Morse County where we've had some of these uh, disease, these root diseases that, you know, they live in the soil over a long period of time. And if you know, if you don't plan the proper alfalfa variety to go into those particular fields, you know, then you just wind up with a stand that's going to last maybe one or two years if it gets established at all, depending on the disease. And so you need to make sure to, to plan accordingly. And if you're not out there scouting, you can miss that. And it could cost you a big, you know, it, it could put another big hole in your back pocket. You know, the one year stand is not a, a very economical thing. So uh, kind of along those lines, if we look at some of the foliar diseases and various leaf spots and some of the stem things we can see, uh, you get a lot of people um, trying foliar fungicides or, or what have what have you seen or heard with that? I know we did some work, uh, oh, it's back 2010, 11. I'd have to look at our research reports, but uh, again, this was just in Southeast Minnesota. So kind of a triangle from Wasika to Rosemont to Rochester and that uh, vicinity, but uh, did some work uh, and cooperated with uh, Deb uh, Samick up there in St. Paul to kind of do some of the disease identification and things. And, you know, I. I guess their, their general take home from the years we did those uh, those, those projects is if, if we're in this intensive 
hunting schedule for, for high quality hay. So we're not a beef person chasing tonnage. We're after high quality dairy hay. You just don't have enough time to get a lot of leaf disease to develop and, uh, and you oftentimes don't see any real impact of putting on a foliar fund. So is that kind of a similar thing that, that you've seen or experienced with uh, up there, Nathan? You know, I think that's uh, actually quite true. You know, again, if you, if you, you know, if you scout properly and you know what you've got and you know what your potential issues are, a lot of that stuff lives, you know, in the soil and what have you for, for up to a long time. And so you can really target those fungicide applications going out there and putting a blanket application. I mean, again, you know, if you're on that 30 day cycle, 45 day cycle, somewhere in there where you're constantly trying to harvest within that 30 to 45 day time mark, you know, it really doesn't allow for a lot of that to develop and you don't really see those kinds of issues, you know, um, you know, and this, might be a better question for Dan Kaiser, but you know, there are a lot there, I guess the frequency of foliar fertilizers is a little bit more common up here versus the foliar fungicides at that point. And, uh, you know, and even on that front, that's, uh, not necessarily, um, used a widespread yet. And so I'm, you know, I guess for the most part, if that, that's a pretty good, strong indication to me that most of the, a lot of your growers in this area have done that and maybe haven't seen the benefit from that. And I'm not sure, you know, if there would be a, a, a an actual benefit to something like a, a foliar application of a fertilizer at that point either you know so we'll see if uh, dan weighs in here in the next couple of minutes but uh anything else you guys can think of uh, discussing i see we're kind of nearing the end of our our segment here today so we don't see any questions or if uh, you guys don't have anything else to mention i think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it we'll see if dan jumps on well, if not, I want to thank everyone for tuning in today and thank our two guests, Anthony and, and uh, Nathan, uh, for providing some insight on things and helping us with the discussion this morning. So thanks a lot, guys. Um, and again, if you've missed this or uh, know someone that missed it or, or do miss one of these uh, episodes, feel free to uh, subscribe via one of your favorite podcast platforms. We take a recording of the show and then... Uh, I'll publish it later in the day here onto the pub, uh, podcast format. So uh, with that, I uh, just want to say thanks, and uh, we'll end the meeting there.